Well, let's pray and ask the Lord to help us, to help me. Father, we are coming to your word this morning expecting or, or with expectation, Lord. Knowing that you are a speaking God. You have spoken and you are speaking. And we want to hear your eternal word. And we want to meet Jesus this morning. Or at least, Lord, we pray that that would be our desire. That you would reorder the desires of our hearts as we prayed already. To want to meet Jesus this morning. To hear from him. To be served by him. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me just raise this a second. Psychology Today wrote an article about motivation. And they said, quote, motivation is the desire to act in service to a goal, to achieve a goal. That's what motivates you. The article goes on to say that it's a crucial element in setting and attaining our objectives. Motivation is one of the driving forces behind human behavior. It fuels competition and sparks social connection. The things that motivate you to do the things that you do. Motivation. And as we engage in gospel ministry in Maricopa, speaking Jesus fluently to our neighbors, praying to share the gospel with our actions and our words with the city of Maricopa, I wonder what motivates us? What drives you to dig in and serve the community around you, to be a part of the church, to spend your energy, to extend yourself for the benefit of others and for the glory of God. What motivates you to actually be a part of the ministry that God is doing? So we're going to talk a little bit this morning about motivation. And, you know, we need, maybe what we need, speaking for myself, is a perspective shift from one thing that has been motivating us to another thing that should motivate us. Perhaps my uh, confession, perhaps my motivation is to see, to be accounted as successful. Maybe that's my motivation as a church planter. And perhaps I need a perspective shift. We're picking up in Genesis 40 which Geraldine read for us already. Genesis 40 and 41 are like this, tied together. It's really one main idea that's being communicated to us about God's redeeming purposes. But to save us from a hundred and some verses this morning, or to let us just settle into part of it, we're going to do two-part sermon. Part one today, and we'll finish up with Joseph being brought to Pharaoh next Sunday. And so let's dive in here, looking at verse, beginning in verse 1. Sometime after this, the cupbearer of the king of Egypt and his baker committed an offense against their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief cupbearer and the chief Baker, And he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, in the prison where, who was there? Joseph, where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard appointed who? Joseph, Joseph to be with them. And attend, he attended them. They continued for some time in custody. 
The text is very particular to make sure we know Joseph is a part of this. He's there. It just so happens Joseph was there, right? It just so happens Joseph was put in charge of them. Perhaps providence is behind this. Sometime after what? Well, specifically, sometime after Joseph had been wrongly accused of harassment against Potiphar's wife. Sometime after Potiphar had put Joseph into prison, and more broadly, like thinking further back, it's sometime after Joseph, who's a Hebrew, an Israelite, had been beaten by his brothers, thrown into a pit, yanked up out of a pit, sold into slavery, and taken into Egypt. So Joseph becomes, if you take notes, this might be helpful for you, an exiled Jew. An exiled Jew. Stripped from his homeland, stripped from his family, stripped of what else? A coat, stripped of a coat, and then led into Egypt as an exile. However, we read in Genesis 39 four times, I believe, three or four times, who is with Joseph? God. Verse 2 and 39, the Lord was with Joseph. In all of this, the Lord is there with Joseph. And so Joseph begins blessing Potiphar. Things are better than ever in Potiphar's house. We thought about this last week with Bishop Ken. But, but then things go from okay to bad again when Potiphar's wife lies and has Joseph thrown into prison. So he becomes an exiled, imprisoned Jew. And yet God is with him. That's how chapter 39 concludes, I mean, comes to a conclusion, verse 21. But the Lord was with Joseph in that prison and showed him steadfast love. It kept him close to himself. God is with Joseph. So now some time has passed. If you do the math and put it together chronologically, it's 11 years have passed. Joseph has been in prison for 11 years on false charges. The whole time he knows he's innocent. And there he is, in prison. But not just wasting away. What happened when he was in prison? He was put in charge. Everything Joseph touches turns into blessing. He he blesses everyone in the prison for 11 years. It's not like he's like, God, why? But it's, God is with me, so I will serve even wrongfully accused and put in prison. Remember what he said to Potiphar's wife in verse 9 of chapter 39. He said, how can I do this great wickedness and, do you remember the three-letter word? Sin. Against you? Against God. How can I sin against my God? And that's why he's in prison. Do you know throughout all time, followers of Yahweh and those who have been united to God and Jesus Christ have been imprisoned for their faith. Imprisoned because they said, how could I sin against my God? I was reading just this morning. His name is Sheng Yi. 
He's a prisoner in China, sentenced for nine years. He was the leader, the pastoral leader of Rain Covenant Church in China. If you've heard about the, the great work that God is doing among house churches, these secret churches that are popping up, he was leading the largest movement of house churches in China, preaching the gospel faithfully. And the Chinese officials have arrested him on a plot to overthrow the government and sentenced him to nine years, which is false he is in prison for nine years. His wife is in prison with him, well, a separate prison, for nine years because they're faithfully preaching Jesus and refuse to sin against their God. It's happening today. And brothers and sisters, it's, there's a, a track record throughout time where Christians end up in jail. So you need to ask yourself, am I willing to say, I will not sin against my God, even if it means a pit or a prison. And perhaps if that time ever comes, Genesis 40 would be a good place to turn. In this prison, the cupbearer and the chief baker for Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, committed an offense against their king. Why is trust between the cupbearer and the baker and Pharaoh important. Poison. Poison. That would be the easiest way to take out the God that is Pharaoh, that he thinks himself. He knows he's susceptible to poison. So his cupbearer and him have to be on good, good terms. His chief baker have to be on good terms. Something happened. Some offense was committed that broke that trust, and so they're put into prison. It's interesting, the word offense in Genesis 40 is the same exact word translated what in Genesis 39, verse 9? Three-letter word. Sin. They are guilty of sinning against the king, and they're put in prison with Joseph, who is not guilty of sinning against the Lord. Interesting irony there. Well, they're in jail, and Joseph is tasked to serve the servants. Attend, that's the word, minister, serve. Joseph becomes a servant to the servants. Verse 5. And one night they both dreamed, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were confined in the prison, that's who's having the dreams. Each his own dream, and each dream with its own interpretation. When Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they were troubled. That's like a trouble that is causing you sweats, you know, anxiety. You feel sick to your stomach. That's, how, that's the way, the, what the word signifies. It's troubled, deeply anxious. Verse 7, so he asked Potiphar's offers, who were with him in custody in his master's house, why are your faces downcast today? They're so troubled. Have you seen somebody? They're so troubled, you can just see it. You know that something is off. Something is nagging at a person. You can just see it, and he sees it. What is bothering you? Verse 8. They said to them, him, we have had dreams, and there's no one to interpret them. In Egyptian culture, there were special interpreters, magicians, who were tasked with interpreting dreams. Well, they're in jail. They don't, they can't, they don't have access to this magician. Joseph said to them, though, do not interpretations belong to God? 
please tell them to me. When the chief cupbearer and baker have these dreams, really what they're thinking is, in this ancient culture, a dream is the primary way a deity would reveal something about the future. So they're thinking, these dreams are an omen. We both had dreams on the same night. It's not coincidence, it's an omen. And it's gonna, it needs to tell us something about the future. Why are they concerned about their future? They're in jail. They've, been, they've committed an offense against Pharaoh. What will our future be? And now they've had a dream. It's to tell them their future, and they don't know what their future is. This is why they're troubled. Most troubling anxiety often comes to us because we don't know the future. If we could just rest in the fact that God knows the future. I speaking to myself. If I could just rest knowing that God, He knows the future. Well, they need to know. They need to find out. But Joseph here, he is motivated to be a constant blessing to those around him. And so he says, what's wrong? We need to know the dream. And Joseph says, do not interpretations belong to God. So far in the Joseph story, dreams have been significant. Sets of dreams. Two dreams got Joseph into the situation he's in. Actually, his brothers did, but it all began with those two dreams. Now there's two more dreams. Next week, two more dreams, right? So sets of dreams, and here Joseph is going to handle these two dreams and bring them to God. So Joseph steps into the lives of these two individuals, and really what he does, listen, he shatters what they think about, what they think about the world. They think interpretations come from these magicians, but Joseph said, actually, there's one deity. And if there's any revelation from him, any dream from him, then he also is the interpreter. So what we have in Scripture is a revelation from God and its interpretation to us. God revealing himself and telling us what he's up to. And so Joseph says to these dreamers, you could call it, maybe we could call it a gospel conversation. Because he says, no, no, you've got it wrong. God can tell you what this is all about. And that's really what a gospel conversation is as we try to learn to do this, as we step into situations where the world is lost in sin, confused about reality, and we're able to share reality with them, to bring them to the truth of God. And so that's what Joseph does here. Um, we can learn from this moment. In prison, enslaved, in a tough spot, Joseph is still motivated to speak the truth of God into his world, whatever that is. And right now it happens to be prison. But he's still committed to speaking Jesus, God, to speaking his trust in God in that prison. Cheng Yi, his one prayer request, is that we would pray for him that he would be faithful to bless others and share his faith in prison. That's his prayer request. Voice of the Martyrs has secured that prayer request for us. That's what Joseph is doing here, motivated even in that situation to bless others by bringing them to God. 
James tells us in chapter 1 that to be joyful in challenges because in those moments our faith is growing. Paul tells us in Philippians 4 that in all circumstances we are to be rejoicing because in every circumstance our faith can be shared. That's what he says in Philippians 4. God is with Joseph in the prison. Joseph was with God. And so there's this beautiful movement where he comes into the situation and turns their attention to the truths of God. Look at verse 9. So the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph and said to him, In my dream there was a vine before me, and on the vine there were three branches. As soon as it budded, its blossoms shot forth, and the clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup, and I placed the cup into Pharaoh's hand. Then Joseph said to him, it's almost, it's immediate. God gives him immediate understanding. This is its interpretation. The three branches are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office, and you shall place Pharaoh's cup in his hand as formerly when you were the cupbearer. Only remember me if it is well with you. Remember me by chance if things go as I just said they would go. What does it say? Remember me when. When. When it goes well with you. That is when my interpretation is proven right. Because God gave it to me. And please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh. And so get me out of this house, this, this prison this jail, he calls it a pit in the next verse. For I was intend, indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews. And here also, I've done nothing that they should put me into the pit. And when he says that he remembers his prison, he remembers his enslavement, he remembers his brothers throwing him into the pit. So Joseph hears the dream and almost immediately he gives interpretation. As a side note, listen, it is so significant that Joseph is not just a dreamer, but an interpreter. Here's a little taste of next Sunday. This word interpretation happens in only one other book in the Old Testament. And maybe that has a clue to what this whole story is about. But I'll leave it at that. And you can whet your appetite for next week. Some of you are going to go home and look it up. Geraldine's already starting. She's looking up. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you, though. If you want to find out, you've got to find out on your own. He says, hey, in three days, Pharaoh's going to lift you up and be, totally restore you. You've committed this offense, but he's going to restore you. He's going to be kind to you. Joseph's so confident in this truth. He says, when you're lifted up, when you're restored, when you're brought up out of this place, remember me. R remember me. I want to get out of here too. See, Joseph is in a real prison. And he doesn't want to be there. Yes, he's living to bless others. And God is with him. But the reality is it's hard. It's a trial. Remember me when you get out of here. And then for the very first time, he comments on his situation. We don't know what Joseph thinks until right here when he says, I don't deserve to. 
I don't deserve to be in exile. I don't deserve to be in prison. Can you remember me? Just mention me. Is that too much to ask? Joseph asked to be called to mind. It's nice to be remembered. Nellie, what if Father Michael forgot your birthday? Yeah, it would hurt. It's nice to be remembered. To be called to mind and thought of and known. I mean, that's a longing of our heart. To be known. At Emmaus, every person should be remembered. From the youngest to the oldest, there should be a commitment among us. Look around. Everybody look around the room. Just do it. It feels a little weird. There's not, listen, there's not a ton of people in this room. We know everyone by name. Surely we can remember one another as we pray. As we come to the Lord in the morning, surely we can pray for one another and remember each other. But now the baker, the baker says, oh, that wasn't too bad. Tell me my dream too. Right? Look at the verse. It says, When the chief baker saw the interpretation was favorable, oh, it's got to be good for me too, right? He said to Joseph, I also had a dream. There were three cake baskets on my head. And the uppermost basket, there was all sorts of baked food for Pharaoh, but the birds were eating out of the basket on my head. And Joseph answered and said, he's a man of truth. He doesn't mince words. This is his interpretation. God told me this. The three baskets are three days, and three days Pharaoh is going to lift up your head. And, and the chief baker's thinking, yes, just like the, uh, the cupbearer. And then Pharaoh, uh, Joseph says, off your head. He's going to lift it off your body. And the chief baker's like, oh, shoot. <laughs> From you and hang you on a tree that's impale you is really the word. The idea is he's going to sever your head off and then stick you on a spike, and the birds will eat your flesh. Yeah. Gross. (laughs) Well, it turns out it's pretty bad for the chief baker. Um, Sorry, guy. Verse 20. On the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, he made a feast for all his servants. And look what it says. He lifted up the head of the chief cupper and the head of the chief baker among his servants. That is, he brought them before all the people gathered on this anniversary, this birthday of Pharaoh. Here then is the moment of truth. Joseph had given an interpretation that would take how many days to validate? Three. Just three. Listen, three days. This is going to happen. So how will it all go? Verse 21. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. One dream, check. But he hanged, that is, probably after severing his head, hanged the chief baker, as Joseph had interpreted to them. Check. Both dreams go exactly how Joseph interpreted. Guilty cupbearer is restored, guilty baker is punished. Why? Does the passage tell us? No, we're not sure. But one thing we do know is, innocent Joseph, where is he? Still in prison, hoping that perhaps the cupbearer will remember, will remember 
Joseph, verse 23. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him, but forgot him. We need to ask, what, what benefit is there for the cupbearer to remember Joseph here? Right now, there's no benefit. It wouldn't matter to him at all. Why does he need to raise up this dream-interpreting, innocent, exiled, imprisoned Jew? Bruce Waltke, he argues that the language here means, quote, this is not a mental lapse, but a moral lapse. It is that the cupbearer legitimately, intentionally chose not to draw Joseph's attention to Pharaoh, or Joseph to Pharaoh's attention. He willfully forgets. So Joseph is left in prison while sinful cupbearer goes free. Joseph does not get what he deserves. And the cupbearer gets more than he deserves. But here's a lesson for us right here. As we think about our motivation for gospel ministry. As I think about my motivation to preach the gospel as you think about your motivation to dig in and serve in this church, as you think about your motivation to risk it, to talk to your neighbor about Christ, what is motivating us? Joseph has blessed and sought God for the sake of the world, and the world, which is this cupbearer, forgets Joseph and moves on with his life. Yet Joseph, listen, he remains faithful to God. All the while in exile, Joseph knew that God was with him. All the while in prison, God is with me. And so he keeps blessing. He keeps serving. He keeps trusting in God. In Genesis 41, verse 16, it just cheat ahead just a second. When Joseph finally gets in front of Pharaoh, the first thing he says is, God. He has clung to God through it all. And he keeps pointing people to the loving God who is with him. Even when there's pain and hurt and difficulty, Joseph is clinging to the presence of God in his life. And this is what's motivating his ministry. God is with me. Famed self-help speaker Tony Robbins tells you that when you don't get what you deserve, you just need to believe yourself, believe in yourself more, and you will get what you deserve. That's what he says. Quote, to unlock how to get you what you deserve, you must truly believe you deserve it. End quote. Tony Robbins, what about Joseph? Do you think he could have believed he deserved to be out of prison enough to break himself out of prison? This is modern, conventional, self-help, therapeutic wisdom. Joseph looks at his situation, pouring out his life for the sake of others, getting nothing. Will you remember me? Nothing in return. And he doesn't trust in himself. He puts his faith in the reality that God is with him. Even in the mess, even in the trial, even in prison, God is with him. And this is motivation for Joseph to keep blessing and serving, extending himself. As a church, we can learn from Joseph. We do not bless the world around us to get anything in return. We do not extend ourselves so that people will return the favor. 
We do not step into messy situations to bring peace and hope so that we would get a pat on the back. We don't open our home and have people into our home so that they might in return have us into their home. We don't share the gospel in hopes that in return they might say, yes, I believe. We do hope that, but that's not what motivates us. We do not sacrifice our resources and our time and our energy so that people would know how much we're putting in. Instead, we bless because God is with us in Christ Jesus. And knowing the blessing of God's love, we love others, listen, as acts of worship to God. That's why we love our neighbors as ourselves. To worship God. Jesus said in Luke 6, love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting everything to be returned to you. What does he say? Expecting nothing in return. And your reward, your reward will be great. You're the sons of the Most High. Luke 14, Jesus is talking about who should be invited to the party. Our kids studied this this week, right? But when you have a feast, when you throw a party, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Why? Because they cannot repay you. It's something of the character of God to seek to bless others even when we're in a place of trial and knowing we can have nothing in return. In fact, listen, we were made in the image of God, beautifully in God's image, to move toward one another in blessing without expectation. We were meant to live this way, to help one another, to serve one another. Think of Genesis 2 and 3. Adam and Eve beautifully serving alongside of one another, expecting nothing in return in the presence of God. That's how we were made. And it's this beautiful picture that we're invite in Jesus Christ, we're invited back into. Your neighbor was made in the, is made in the image of God to both experience this type of community and participate in this type of community. They were made for it. Well, how can we make a return to this beauty? In the truth that God is with us. Here it is. Giving us what we do not deserve. We do not bless only those who deserve it or only those who can return the favor. This is the way of the world. We bless the world because God has blessed us even when we don't deserve it. You see, this took, we took this beautiful community that God had made where we live together in just perfect fellowship and we sinned against one another. We actually expected everything in return. We're guilty of extending ourselves so that we would get something in return. Unlike Joseph, who can say, I'm innocent, we're guilty of sinning and in the sin against a holy God. 
We've been imprisoned by sin and death, exiled into the land of Satan, and God owes us nothing, and we cannot repay him, but he invites us to the party. He welcomes us to the feast. Just like Joseph, we can't spring ourselves from prison, yet God opens the prison. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has come into the world. He came into the world as an exile. The man of heaven in the prison of sin and death that is earth. In this world, Jesus lived only to bless others, to serve, as we read in our gospel reading. To put others' interests before his own and to show complete loyalty to God even if it would cost him. Like Joseph, Jesus rose in favor. You remember? He rose in favor among those who he taught, among those whom he healed. People were following him. He amassed a great following as he walked in holiness. And like Joseph, Jesus was wrongly accused. He was accused of sinning against the king of the universe, God, his father. Blasphemy was the accusation. And like Joseph, Jesus was wrongly put into chains. And while in chains as an innocent prisoner, Jesus was motivated by the reality that his father was with him and that in his ministry, he was bringing blessing to the world. And so he walked the road of the cross, bearing the curse of our sins to set us free. When we turn to Jesus in faith, believing in his perfect life, that he broke the chains of sin and death, we can say like Joseph, I am innocent because Christ has redeemed me. Thus, we're no longer defined by our sin because Jesus does remember us before the Father. Remember the thief on the cross? Lord, remember me. And Jesus is faithful to remember. And so we're no longer defined by our past sins. We're defined by our place in God's palace. And so I want you to remind yourself of this truth this morning. That because of Christ, you're a prisoner. You were a prisoner, but now you belong to God. We're we're a Joseph in that way. We're a Joseph in the way, but that by the Spirit, we're able to bless others without expectation for return. Even in the midst of difficulties, because God has so richly blessed us. This is our motivation. We are being restored to beauty. We are a community that can live into this picture where we serve and minister to one another, never expecting return. This is a powerful display of the gospel to the world around us that this community is totally foreign to them. Our world lives in this transactional community where I give and get, give and get, you give and I'll return. We live in a community where God has given and so we freely give. So I want you to ask yourself this morning, how might God be calling me to more fully live into the ministry of Emmaus? more fully live into gospel ministry in Maricopa. Where Joseph also, here's the last thing, and that the great, the great revelation has been revealed and interpreted to us through Holy Scripture. We don't, have you wondered, why doesn't God speak in dreams as like he used to? Well, perhaps he does it sometimes, but it's, we don't need dreams anymore. Why? Jesus has been revealed. 
The final word has been made known. The revelation of God to the world. We are those who have been released from prison because Jesus has remembered us before the Father. And yet, listen, we live among prisoners. But we live in an exalted state. We live among prisoners as free men and women of God who can liberate captives, who can help break the chains of the guilty by pointing them to Jesus Christ. So I want you to also ask God to give you more. Be bold. God, give me more opportunities to preach the gospel to prisoners. Let me pray. Father, we are so thankful that you don't, you don't look at our abilities and repay us based on them. In fact, you look at our sin and you take on all of our guilt and shame in your son, Jesus Christ, and you free us from what we deserve and you give us infinitely more than we could ask or imagine or dream all the riches of heaven, all the blessings of Jesus poured out into our lives through the cross. And so we ask in that truth, you'd help us to live like Christ, to live like Joseph, <coughs> trusting in the work of the cross and risking ourselves to bless others. In Jesus' name, amen.